Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Chief went up to Betty and, with a stately bend of the head, said in broken English, White woman, get on horse. "'And what are you going to do with this man?' asked Betty, pointing to the prostrate form of Tom. "'Unico will take care of him,' briefly replied the chief, meaning himself, while with a wave of his hand he turned away and went to Tolly, whom he ordered to mount the pony, which he styled the little horse. The boy was not slow to obey, but by that time he was quite convinced that his only chance of being allowed to have his hands left free lay in prompt submission.' Any lurking thought that might have remained of making a grand dash for liberty was effectually quelled by a big savage who quietly took hold of the pony's rein and led it away. Another Indian led Betty's horse. Then the original three who had found Tom took him up quietly and gently and carried him off, while the remainder of the band followed in single file. Unico led the way, striding over the ground at a rate which almost forced the pony to trot and glancing from side to side with a keen look of inquiry that seemed to intimate an expectation of attack from an enemy in ambush. But if any such enemy existed he was careful not to show himself, and the Indian band passed through the defiles and fastnesses of the Sawbuck Hills unmolested until the shades of evening began to descend. Then, on turning round a jutting rock that obstructed the view of a mountain gorge, Unico stopped abruptly and held up his hand. This brought the band to a sudden halt, and the chief, apparently sinking on his knees, seemed to melt into the bushes. In a few minutes he returned with a look of stern resolve on his well-formed countenance. "'He has discovered something of some sort. I—' Tolly's remark to his fair companion was cut short by the point of a keen knife touching his side, which caused him to end with, "'Hello!' The savage, who held his bridle, gave him a significant look that said, "'Silence!' After holding a brief whispered conversation with several of his braves, the chief advanced to Betty and said, "'White man's in bush. Does white woman know why?' Betty at once thought of her father and his companions, and said, "'I have not seen the white men. How can I tell why they are here? Let me ride forward and look at them. Then I shall be able to speak.' A very slight smile of contempt curled the chief's lip for an instant as he replied, "'No. The white woman see them when they be trapped. Unico knows one.' He is black, a devil with two face, many face, but Unico's eye be sharp. They see far. So saying, he turned and gave some directions to his warriors, who at once scattered themselves among the underwood and disappeared, ordering the Indians who carried Tom Brixton to follow him and the riders to bring up the rear. He continued to advance up the gorge. A devil with two faces, muttered Tolly. That must be a queer sort of beast. 
"'I have heard of a critter called a Tasmanian devil, but never before of an Oregon one with two faces.' An expressive glance from the Indian who guarded him induced the lad to continue his speculations in silence. On passing round the jutting rock, where Unico had been checked in his advance, the party at once beheld the cause of anxiety. Close to the track that they were following were seen four men busily engaged in making arrangements to encamp for the night. It need scarcely be said that these were our friends, Paul Bevan, Fred Wesley, Flinders, and the botanist. The moment that these caught sight of the approaching party they sprang to their arms, which of course lay handy, for in those regions, at that time we write of, the law of might was in the ascendant. The appearance and conduct of Unico, however, deceived them, for that wily savage advanced towards them with an air of confidence and candour which went far to remove suspicion, and when, on drawing nearer, he threw down his knife and tomahawk, and held up his empty hands, their suspicions were entirely dispelled. "'They're not likely to be unfriendly,' observed Flinders, "'for there's only five of them altogether. One of them looks a bit of a boy, and another looks uncommon like a what?' He got thus far when he was checked by Paul Bevan's exclaiming with a look of intense surprise, "'Why, that's Betty, or a ghost!' Flinders' astonishment was too profound to escape in many words. He only gave vent to, "'Masha, here's Tolly,' and let his lower jaw drop. "'Yes, it's me and the beautiful Nugget,' cried Tolly, jumping off the pony and running to assist the Nugget to dismount, while the bearers of Tom Brixton laid him on the ground, removed the blanket, and revealed his face. The exclamations of surprise would no doubt have been redoubled at this sight if the power of exclamation had not been for the time destroyed. The sham botanist in particular was considerably puzzled, for he at once recognised Tom, and also Betty, whom he had previously known. Of course, he did not know Tolly Trevor, still less did he know that Tolly knew him. Unico himself was somewhat surprised at the mutual recognitions, though his habitual self-restraint enabled him to conceal every trace of emotion. Moreover, he was well aware that he could not afford to lose time in the development of his little plot. Taking advantage, therefore, of the surprise which had rendered every one for the moment more or less confused, he gave a sharp signal which was well understood by his friends in the bush. Instantly, and before Tolly or Betty could warn their friends of what was coming, the surrounding foliage parted as if by magic, and a circle of yelling and painted redskins sprang upon the white men. Resistance was utterly out of the question. They were overwhelmed as if by a cataract, and almost before they could realise what had happened, the arms of all the men were pinioned behind them. At that trying hour little Tolly Trevor proved himself to be more of a man than most of his friends had hitherto given him credit for. The savages, regarding him as a weak little boy, had paid no attention to him, but combined their efforts to the overcoming of the powerful and by no means submissive men with whom they had to deal. Tolly's first impulse was to rush to the rescue of Paul Bevan but he was remarkably quick-witted, and when on the point of springing, observed that no tomahawk was wielded or knife-drawn. Suddenly grasping the wrist of Betty, who had also naturally felt the impulse to succour her father, he exclaimed, "'Stop, Betty! They don't mean murder! You and I can do nothing against so many. Keep quiet. Perhaps they'll leave us alone!' As he spoke, a still deeper idea flashed into his little brain. To the surprise of Betty, he suddenly threw his arms round her waist, and clung to her, as if for protection, with a look of fear in his face, and when the work of binding the captives was completed, the Indians found him still labouring to all appearance under great alarm. Unico cast on him one look of supreme scorn, and then, leaving him like Betty unbound, turned towards Paul Bevan. 
"'The white man is one of wicked band,' he said in his broken English. "'I don't know what you mean, Redskin,' replied Paul. "'But speak your own tongue. I understand it well enough to talk with ye.' The Indian repeated the question in his native language, and Paul, replying in the same, said, "'No, Redskin, I belong to no band, either wicked or good.' "'How come you, then, to be in company of this man?' demanded the Indian. In reply, Paul gave a correct account of the cause and object of his being there, explained that the starving man before them was the friend for whom he sought, that Betty was his daughter, that how she came to be there beat his comprehension entirely, and that the botanist was a stranger, whose name even he did not yet know. "'It is false,' returned the chief. "'The white man speak with forked tongue. He is one of the murderers who have slain my wife and child.' A dark fierce frown passed over the chief's countenance as he spoke, but it was quickly replaced by the habitual look of calm gravity. "'What can stop me,' he said, reverting again to English as he turned and addressed Betty, "'from killing you as my wife was killed by a white man?' "'My God can stop you,' answered the girl in a steady voice, though her heart beat fast and her face was very pale. "'Your God!' exclaimed the savage. "'Will your God defend the wicked?' "'No, but he will pardon the wicked who come to him in the name of Jesus, and he will defend the innocent.' "'Innocent!' repeated Unico vehemently, as he turned and pointed to the botanist. "'Does you call this man innocent?' "'I know nothing about that man,' returned the girl earnestly, "'but I do know that my father and I, and all the rest of us, are innocent of any crime against you.' For a few seconds the savage chief gazed steadily at Betty. Then, turning towards the botanist, he took a step towards the spot where he sat, and looked keenly into his face. The botanist returned the gaze with equal steadiness through his blue spectacles. End of chapter 13